Yes, Father, thank you. The scriptures declare and make us aware of how the love of God has been lavished toward us through his son, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you it is that love that penetrates fear and causes fear to flee. We thank you for that, Lord. For fear is just a fear of being punished, but love lets us know that we can come into your presence and that you long for us to be with you and that you care about our needs. Even describing it in the scriptures as though you count even the hairs of our heads, that's how much attention you want to give to us. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray today as we look into the scriptures, Holy Spirit, guide us into the truth. We long for truth in the innermost being that we might live from that place in truth, in love, in wholeness and holiness. And Father, we give you the praise and the glory for what you're going to teach us through the scriptures this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight alone, my God, my rock, my redeemer. We give you praise today in your holy name. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Thank you for coming to this morning and being a part of our service today. Uh, we're going to carry on with our series um, that is uh, focusing on soul care. And uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, we're going to be taking the next several weeks and walking through the principles that are assigned to soul care. And a part of the journey of every Christian is to look after the soul, is to watch over the soul. Proverbs even says, beware of your heart, watch over it. In fact, it even gives us the idea that it is of first importance to guard your heart, for out of it comes the wellsprings of life. And so looking after your soul, looking after your heart is a very key part of a journey of any Christian, any believer. And so uh, we're going to take our time and walk through these principles in, in hopes that by the time we come to May 7, 8, and 9, which is our conference dates, that we'll have been so prepared like a good farmer goes out and cultivates the land and gets it ready for seed, that's what we'll be like when it comes to the weekend of soul care when uh, Doug Bolzer and his wife Terry come and minister for us and to us through the Holy Spirit and guide us into that journey. It's going to be very, very good. So I encourage you. It is, unfortunately, going to mean that you'll have to talk to your employer, employer if you uh, have to work on that Friday, the 8th. And if you can get it off, it would be so worth it. It will be well worth your time to, to take that extra bit of time and come and be a part of the conference on Friday. So 789, you can register online already. The registrations are open, and you can do so by just following the links that are on our Facebook page, uh, on our website. Um, I believe they're in the bulletin. So you just follow that, and you'll go to the registration. You can register there. So today, the focus of the second principle of soul care is repentance. Not a very well-discussed topic these days. I don't hear that word very much, repentance. Even though when Jesus came, he, when, he, when he brought the message to the nation of Israel, the first thing he said was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Obviously, that word repentance then becomes of very significant importance. What does it mean? 
Why are we to repent in order to embrace the kingdom of heaven? What is that all about? And what's the significance of repentance in the believer's life? Is it that we repent once when we believe and that's good enough? Or is it a lifetime of ongoing, expanding repentance as the Holy Spirit leads us? Well, when we first come to believe the message of Jesus, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection three days later, we must first repent that we are actually sinners, that we have sinned against God, his holiness. We have gone astray, and we have sinned as a result. So we are sinners, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we have committed sins against the Father when we break His holy laws. And so we must repent of those things and and make room then for receiving what it is God offers us as a free gift, which is indestructible life, everlasting life in the person of the Holy Spirit who comes to indwell us as believers. So that's the way we start the journey. It starts with repentance. Well, the word repentance in the Scripture The Greek word that's used there is metaneo, and it's two words put together. One has to do with the mind, neo. It has to do with your mind, your thoughts, your perceptions, your dispositions, and your purposes. So why you do what you do and how you think. So repentance is actually having to do with what's up in here in your mind, And the first part of that, meta, has to do with change or movement. And if you carry that further, as we mentioned last week, when it comes to uh, metamorphosis, it's the actual transformation of the Christian from what we once were to what God wants us to be. And we know the journey, according to Scripture, is that we should be changed into His likeness. So the process is that we are being ever changed from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus. We're becoming his twin. And that's not a physical thing. That is a character-driven thing, a holy-driven thing. It is about our attitudes as much as it is our actions. I found a couple of very good descriptions. Charles Spurgeon, who was once a great preacher in England, he said this, Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, and mourning that we have committed it. There is a godly sorrow that comes when we recognize that we have transgressed, we have sinned against a holy, loving God. And then, though, on the flip side of repentance is a resolution to forsake all. In fact, a change of mind is very deep practical character. I like this part. It makes the man love what once he hated and hate what what once he loved. John does very well at this. John, in chapter 3, he talks about how men love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. And so what we once loved, when we repent, we now hate. And what we used to hate, which is the light, which is God's love, which we used to resist, well, now we love that instead. And so there's a very definite change that takes place inside the believer's life. J.I. Packer, a theologian, once wrote this, Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin 
to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you understand of God. I thought that was really good. It's not about being fake. It's not about pretending more than you are. You are holy. God has made you holy. But the journey of sanctification is what we're on now. And there's no need to pretend. There's no need to be fake. As our knowledge grows of these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. I like that. Our practice of repentance must be enlarged. As we grow in the Lord, as we walk in faith, as we begin to mature, then repentance now takes on a different flavor, and it's just a way of life, and it grows with us. When you're a kid, it's easy to misbehave and be corrected by your parents. I found that out. My parents were very good at correcting me. I think my mom and dad are watching. I remember one specific time. I had homework that I was supposed to do, but I didn't do it. And when I got to school the next day, the teacher said, okay, everybody hand your homework in, but I couldn't, I didn't have it done. So she said, why don't you have your homework done? And I said, well, my dad made me shovel the end of the driveway off because it had snowed and the snow plow had gone by and I was supposed to go shovel the end of the driveway off. So I blame my dad for, for, you know, not enable me to have the time to do my homework. But I forgot one very important thing when I told that lie. She came to our church. So, I don't know, maybe it was the next Sunday or the following Sunday. Somehow, her and dad ended up talking, or her and mom, I'm not sure who. But there was a chastising from the teacher that I should let, you should let Kevin do his homework before you send him out to do the shoveling. Caught. Caught. I had to make some decisions. Like, I'm, I'm I don't know how old, maybe grade five. But I had to make some decisions based on, you know, the discipline that my parents hand out to me. I had to decide if I really was wrong in doing that. I had to choose. Yeah, okay, I was wrong. And then I had to repent, as in I needed to make sure that I strove from that point forward not to tell such whopping big lies. And, of course, there was punishment that was meted out. There was discipline that was handed out. And I had to tell the teacher that I was sorry for lying. I had to publicly confess to her. Not in front of anybody else, just me and her. Well, that actually is a healthy journey that I was on. Because I was living in pretend land. Right? I was pretending everything was okay. And I was pretending that it was my dad whose fault it was I couldn't get my homework done. I was pretending. I was all pretending. In order to make me come into the light and see the light and be moved or transformed by the light, I had to be disciplined and moved into that direction. And I had also to receive it. I had to say, yeah, okay, I have to confess. And yes, I need to repent. And yes, I need to go and ask for forgiveness from the teacher. I had to do those things. That's actually a very good picture of the rest of my life. And I think it's also a very good picture, according to scriptures, of what it's like for all of us. Because we tend towards the darkness. We tend towards secrets. We tend towards the shadows. 
We don't like to confess that we have failed or we are a failure or we have sinned. We don't like to confess those things. Now, sometimes I think we don't mind confessing them to God because that's easy, right? Dear God, please forgive my sins. And then we walk on. But in the scripture, it also is helpful to note that actually being a part of a confessing community, which is called the church, actually that helps us in our journey of repentance. And when we cough up what we've done in secret to a brother or a sister who loves us and cares for us and wants the best for us and would never use what we just told them against against us, then we find that we find healing at that moment. To confess our brokenness is hard, but it is so much a part of the healing that needs to happen in our souls. Repentance is a key aspect of ongoing soul care as His Holy Spirit brings us into the light from the darkness and shows us things in our souls that maybe we are not so proud of or things within us that we actually have shame over. He wants to heal those things. Now, maybe some of you are like most of us who sin and then confess and then sin again and then confess again and then sin again and then confess again and then sin again and then confess again. And pretty soon, we find ourselves thinking, this is the way it's going to be forever. I'll never get over this sin. I'll never be able to defeat this attitude. I'll never be able to overcome this fear or this worry. And so we kind of throw our hands up and think, well, I guess I am demoted to second-class Christian living. And i got to tell you, folks, that is not in the Scripture anywhere. There is no second-class Christian living. Either we are living it or we are not. And when we are not living this Christian life, we tend to hide. Hide from each other and hide from God and even hide from what I really want myself. We hide. That goes back all the way to the garden. But let me read you a couple passages, and if you want to follow along, that would be good, so that you can mark it in your Bible. This is just after John 3.16, the very famous verse. It's actually starting, and we're going to start reading in verse 19. You know what John 3.16 says, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, right? That's a solid promise that when we come into faith, we know that He's loved us, and we know that we are His and He is ours. That's a beautiful thing. Now, later in that same chapter, though, in verse 19, this is what John continues to write about. This is the verdict. This is judgment. So this is what judgment is going to be about the day when judgment comes. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Anyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear 
that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that what may be seen plainly that they have done has been done in the sight of God. So this whole transition, this whole transaction is about coming from darkness into light. It's about leaving dark land and coming into light land. Uh, James says it this way, for we have been we have been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of the son of light. So we have made this transition, but that transition happens to us, and now we need to walk in it. And walking in it is all about confession and repentance and finding healing and moving forward. Not confessing and doing it again, and confessing and doing it again. That's not the Christian journey. Now, it is because we experience it that way, but that's not what it's meant to be like. So, let's keep going. John has the same thing in 1 John. So, that's near the end of your Bibles. 1 John chapter 1. So, if you don't know where 1 John is, use your table of contents. It says 1 John. That's what the book you want. And chapter and verse. So, chapter 1 starting at verse 5. 1 John, chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. Say that with me. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. In other words, there's no deception, there's no secrets, there's no hidden agendas, there is no darkness at all. Hallelujah. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie. We tell lies, we live in pretend land. And do not live by the truth, which is real land. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with who? One another. It kind of does a little twist there. Yes, we have fellowship with God. We claim to be with him and we walk in the light. We have fellowship with each other. That's an important little thing right there. Don't forget it. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that means the ongoing work of God in our lives is to continue to reveal to us the deceptions that we have believed, the lies that we have believed, and the things that are deep down inside of us that we have not brought into the light yet. He wants to work on those things as the Holy Spirit reveals them to us. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. This is the ongoing journey of a believer. So we come into light We're saved from darkness. He floods us with light. And then we learn how to apply light to the dark parts of our lives 
in a, in a sanctifying, in a holy kind of making way. Does that make sense to you? That's what we're on to. That's what we're about. And the process has got a new term. It's not from the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's from this day. It's called soul care. That's the process. We must seek to live in the truth and in the light of Christ. And we want to experience, if we want to experience greater freedom and increasing measures of that freedom, then we must be honest. We need to be honest with God, of course, and with each other. That's where the fellowship with one another comes into play. You see, a confessing community is a community that is willing to receive confession and extend absolution. Do you understand those terms? Where have you heard that before? Hey, I heard it. Somebody said it. The Catholic Church. You see, I think sometimes we in Protestant land, we have kind of, what do we do with this passage? What do we do? We need to be in a confessing community, but somehow we think it's okay for us just to confess our sins to God and move on. No, very rarely does healing to the soul come from that kind of exchange. And that's why we have the sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess cycle. What needs to interrupt that is fellowship. Now, probably most of you think fellowship is family feast. Hallelujah. Yes, it is. But it is so much more. True Genuine fellowship is being a part of each other's lives. Now, that doesn't mean we all are a part of each other's lives. It means that we have people that we go to, that we can confess to, and in that confession, they hold us accountable to the truth. 3 and 30 is a perfect example of them. Getting together to pray together, read scripture together, and to do life, to share life together. It's not meant for you to go and be plastic with each other and pretend everything's okay. It's meant for you to get together and walk a journey of holy openness together. Openness. This is scary to some people. They're not sure they can trust others who claim to be Christians and probably for good reasons, because Christians are known for their faultiness. I have a story for that when I get to the end of the message today. Christians are known for betraying. And if you open up to another Christian, you just might be betrayed. And there's something to learn from that too, as you'll find out in a couple minutes. The author of the book Soul Care, Rob Reimer, writes this, God cannot cleanse your excuses. I like that. We make excuses. And we make excuses for others. We pardon them when God is not pardoning them. God cannot pardon our denials. God cannot cleanse what we cannot, we will not confess. He, God cannot heal that's what, that which we will not admit to. There is no freedom without forgiveness. And there is no forgiveness without repentance. Hiding creates darkness, and darkness destroys the soul. We must resolve to walk in the light with God and others. Adam and Eve were reluctant to come into the light. Once they had sinned, they heard the sound of the Father walking into the garden, and once they'd sinned, what did they do? 
They hid. But before he had come, something else had happened. What else? They hid from who? Each other. They went and found some fig leaves to cover themselves, for they were naked, and they felt shame. Oh, folks, we are buckets of shame. We have done stuff that we are not proud of. We have attitudes flying around inside of us that we know are wrong, but we still continue to have them. Adam and Eve were reluctant to come towards the light, towards God. First, they covered up their nakedness because of their shame, and then they also decided to hide from him when he came into the garden. And of course, he called them out, Adam, where are you? God knew where they were, right? You know that, right? He wasn't like, oh, I wonder where they are. No. The point of the question was not for God. The point of the question was for Adam and Eve. They had to recognize they were hiding and full of shame. And then when they came forward, the first question he asked was, who told you you were naked? What did they do? They deflected. They blamed. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Poor serpent. Nobody to blame. Right? He was left with a short stick. You see, this is how sin has corrupted us. This is how we live out our life. And we try to live this same way once we become Christians. And we think, well, you know, when I came into faith, I confessed my sin. Isn't that good enough? Is it? No, it's not. It's good enough for salvation, for sure. But holiness comes in, and then holiness must work its way out. The process is lifelong. We do not stop. We do not stop exposing ourselves to the light, exposing the nakedness of our souls to God and to each other, to a trusted person who we confess openly with. Not because we're so eager to confess openly with, because that's generally not true. But what we are is we're eager to walk in holiness together with another brother or another sister. I know I have to say this just because of how our mind works, but we should confess fellas to fellas and gals to gals and not the other way around. Unless you're married, then you can do that too. But even in that form of confession, that can be very difficult. It's not easy to, for me to confess to Cheryl when I have done something stupid or wrong. It's not easy. Especially when I know she's almost always right. That really bugs me. The hiding has to go. The secret life must be dealt with through the cross of Christ. You see, that's the whole thing about, like uh, this week I was able to hang out with a few guys with addictions. That's the whole thing about addiction, isn't it? You cover it up and you become really, really good at covering it up, at hiding the real you. And what you need is you know they need another group of people like yourself. So let's take AA, for example. 
So in AA, AA, it's really hard to pretend there. Why? Because you can't fool someone who's lived exactly what you're living. They can see through you. And they'll call you on the carpet and say, no, 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 no. You're just not ready to quit yet. Someday you will be. What do you mean? I'm here. I'm up front. I just confessed. Hi, I'm Kevin. I'm an alcoholic. All that stuff is good. But until you're ready to repent, you will never change. And repentance means I own it in front of another person. In that case, another member of Alcohol Anonymous. You see what I mean? This is the life that the church is meant to have. And I believe it's the reason why we struggle in our church with so much brokenness. So many broken relationships. So many broken marriages. So many broken lives. is because we are not used to living in a confessing community. That we repent things and then we are held accountable, loving accountability from other believers. Who would not use the information that we spill out against us. Do you follow? This is so important. I cannot stress the importance. In fact, it's so important God designed salvation to include a command to not forsake the gathering of yourselves together unless there's a coronavirus. Then you can't. You see, we are not to forsake the gathering of ourselves because it is so important that iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. One person sharpens another. We need to be interactive with this. We need to be disciples of one another, mentoring each other, peer mentoring each other, walking together in light so that we can have victory and no freedom. But that takes a willingness to repent. And our pride hates repenting. We hate confessing that we did wrong. We don't mind saying we're sorry that we got caught, but we hate repenting that we were wrong. But we must be forward. We must be open. We must be willing to be examined by another. Somebody with skin on, not just a heavenly father, somebody from the community of faith. It is so important. If we want to walk with clean souls and experience forgiveness, we must view our connection to the church very differently than too many of us do. The church is meant to be around us, around me, around you, so that we can encourage each other to walk in the light and thereby find freedom. Walking in the light is something that God desires so much that he will put extra pressure on us. Now listen to this. This is from David in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. If you want to write that down, study it later. So David has been caught, right? He's been caught in adultery with Bathsheba. So he sinned, correct? So he sinned. And he's been caught by Nathaniel, the prophet, and he goes to Penn. And this is what he writes about his sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Anybody know 
Anybody whose bones are groaning? <laughs> this is all inside. The heaviness that comes to us when we refuse to repent, when we refuse to confess that we have done wrong or are wrong in how we've acted. For day and night, it says, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Being a real good redhead, I remember one August 10th birthday party where I got a little too much sun. And my strength was sapped. I had no strength left. I think it was my 10th birthday. I should have had lots of strength, right? 10-year-old, full of spitting vinegar, having a party for his birthday. No, I got too much sun, and I just couldn't handle it. Now, I know sometimes the tendency, again, remember Adam and Eve, the tendency is to blame the devil. Hey, anybody done that? It's way more convenient to blame the devil than it is to actually take ownership of the heaviness that's in my soul. You see, I need to think to myself, first of all, now it could be the devil, but I'm thinking just as much, it could easily be just yourself, your pride and your arrogance. Fighting against God, keeping silent about sin that's running around inside of you that the Holy Spirit has already convicted you of, already put his finger on in your life. And you feel terrible. And you come to the prayer meeting, you say, oh, folks, I feel terrible. I think the devil is having his way with me. I think we need some discernment at that point among us who pray together. Maybe somebody needs to say, hey, have you sinned? Are you covering up something? That might be shocking. They might leave the prayer meeting. And that wouldn't be very nice. And we're not only nice Christians, we're nice Canadians too. Right? But you know, sometimes we are not healed because we refuse to confess. James chapter 5 is very clear about this. James chapter 5 says that if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, the prayer of faith will heal, for the prayer of the righteous accomplishes much. But you know how that started? It started with the words, confess to each other. We like to skip that part and go straight to, well, let's just pray for you, brother. Let's just pray for you, sister, which is very important and very good. Please do not assume I'm somehow belittling that. But sometimes we need to be strong in the spirit and discerning about what we hear and ask the tough questions of each other. Are you holding on to sin? Because otherwise we could pray till the cows come home and nothing will happen. Except maybe we could damage our faith and the faith of the brother or sister we just prayed for. Because we didn't ask what's going on inside. It's very, very important. That's why 1 John 1.7 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's why James 5 says, confess to one another. These are important truths that we cannot run from if, if we expect to walk in freedom. Would you like to walk in freedom? Then you must be part of a confessing community. You must be part of a three and 30 or something like it where you are held accountable. 
I am a master at deceiving others of how well I'm doing. How about you? Hey? Now, some people think, well, I can always tell because, you know, Kevin, you wear your emotions on your sleeve. Well, that may be true, but I can still guarantee you there are parts of me that I would be ashamed if they were broadcast over a public system. They're in there. And the Holy Spirit, thankfully, is gracious. He doesn't say, I want you to change all of these at once. Thank God, or we'd be crushed under that. As the journey, as we walk in the light, as we walk towards the light, as we do that, the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something. I want you to, I want you to deal with this. And we think, oh, no, 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 that's not my fault. That's his fault. That's her fault. And we blame others almost right away. It couldn't be me. Oh, you don't want me to go and confess to her, do you? Do you know how mean she was to me? Do you know the things she said about me? And we make all kinds of excuses. But just like Reimer said in his book, Soul Care, God cannot heal your excuses. Hmm. This is so important. Let me read it one more time because it's really the heart and soul of what repentance is all about. God cannot cleanse your excuses. God cannot pardon your denials. Wasn't me. That's not me, Lord. He cannot pardon your denials. God cannot cleanse what we do not confess. God cannot heal what we will not admit to. There is no freedom without forgiveness, and there is no forgiveness without repentance. Hiding creates darkness, and darkness destroys the soul, and we must resolve to walk in the light as God is in the light. This came home for me many years ago. The senior pastor of our church resigned. I was asked by the board to consider being the transitional pastor, and I started doing a pretty good job. And so there was talk among the board with me, and many people from the congregation came and talked to me too, and said, we would love for you to become our senior pastor. And I liked that. That felt good. Hey, woo, yeah. That's what I went to school for. That's what I was dreaming of. That's where I was heading. I was not going to be an associate pastor the rest of my life. I was heading towards being a senior pastor. It was all coming together. God's great master plan for me. Or maybe it was mine for him. I can't tell. I went away, and I said, Father, they want me to be a transitional pastor. I want to make this church ready for whoever comes next, even if it's me. And is there something you want me to deal with uh, within our leadership or in a church? And as I was going through my own personal devotions, I came to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and it was about David's desire to minister to anyone who is left over from King Saul's family. You remember the conflict between the two families, right? King Saul was the first king of Israel. King David was the second king of Israel at the expense of first king, for, uh, uh, Saul, King Saul's family. And so when David finally got to the throne, you know what one of his first things was, is he inquired to find out if there was anybody from Saul's family that he could show kindness to. He was looking for skeletons in the closet. And I just had that go through my mind. The Lord wants me to deal with the closet, uh, with the skeletons that are in the closet of my first church I was in. I didn't know what they were. 
I didn't know there were any. And lo and behold, you know how God is, right? Within a week, somehow, I ended up having coffee with the first planting pastor of the church I was in. It was awesome. We chatted and carried on. And I said, you know, out of the blue, what's going on? He said, well, I just had this unction that I should call you and have coffee with you. I don't know why. And I said, well, uh, I'll tell you what I'm on. Here's my journey. And I told him what I just told you. And he goes, it's, it's interesting that you should say that. You know, the church, when we had planted it and it was going well, the elders said to me, listen, uh, we want you to get established here in the town and we'd like to give you $10,000 so that you can get a house, get a mortgage, qualify. Well, can you imagine? What an amazing gift. Hey, wouldn't you think that was good? Hello, are you with me? Yeah, he thought it was awesome. He'd have enough money to put a down payment on a house so he could raise his little family. And there are three daughters, and, you know, we have three daughters, so we kind of identified with each other there. I was actually a friend of his daughter's. And then, when it came time for this pastor to move on, that's the thing about planting pastors. Eventually, the church needs to move past the planter. And the planter needs to go on and do another planting because that's what he's gifted for, right? Are you with me in that? And so it came time for him to move on. And so he went to the elders and he said, I really believe the Lord is telling me it's time for me to move on and for you to find another pastor. And they were all like, that sounds very wise. Yes, that sounds good. And then lo and behold, if he didn't get a summons and he was being sued for the $10,000 that the church had gifted him, gifted him. Did you catch that? They wanted the money back. Well, he didn't have $10,000. And I thought, I can't believe that we would have treated you so poorly. I said, I'll bring this to the board at our next board meeting in my youth. <laughs> so I went to, I actually called an emergency board meeting after the service. And I told them what was going on inside my soul and that God was leading me this way. And everyone was like, oh yeah, that's important. We should probably deal with that. We should probably make sure we apologize to him and make it a formal thing and maybe even invite him to church and bring him up front and apologize to him in front of everybody just because that's how it should go in the kingdom of God. Well, little did I know there were people in the board who were very close to the board of old who had done this to him. And I never thought of that connection. Well, oh my goodness, there was a lot of manure that hit the fan after I did that. And it wasn't from the church. It was from the old board members who were furious with me that I would actually think, who was I, a young upstart nobody from Bible school with five years of ministry under his belt to tell them what to do? I felt like a little kid chastised. I didn't even know what to say. Not only that, but they had promised that I would, you know, I was, they were grooming me to be the senior pastor. Well, that was off the table. And I was invited to lunch by a trusted elder. And when I sat down at the table, I kid you not, no word of a lie, I had just ordered, and, he, and I said, hey, it's just great to be with you today, you know, my youth again. And he was very serious. I knew something was really wrong. And I said, are you okay? And he goes, actually, no, I'm not. I need to talk to you about something. Okay, 
Let's talk. And he looked me in the eyes and he said to me, Kevin, you are an agent of the devil. This is a well-respected elder. He said, it's your fault. It's your fault that our first pastor left and left us in this mess that you've created, trying to reclaim or trying to fix old skeletons in the closet. Who do you think you are? And he literally called me an agent of the devil. I couldn't, I couldn't stay. I didn't know what to do. I just felt like somebody puked on me with spiritual puke. And I went to my car. I, I left him there at the table. I, didn't, I don't even think I got my food, or maybe it came and I left. I'm not sure. I can't remember. It's a bit of a fuzz. But I went to my car, and I sat in my car, and I said, Father, am I really guilty of this? And then the next thought through my mind, did I just have a talk with the devil? A couple days later, there was a board meeting. It was about the decision about what we're going to do. And so I arrived. I thought I would arrive a little bit early and pray. So I arrived 20 minutes early. They were already there. Oh, that's nice. I wonder what they're talking about. So I went in. And I was promptly asked not to join in the discussion and that I should leave. So again, I, I left. And then one of the elders came out after, I don't know how long, it seemed like forever. And he said, we've decided to call another pastor. I said, have you already found somebody? They said, yeah, it's a bit of a narrow field, but we're going to call this person. So they called that person. I didn't know what to do. Should I leave? We even asked some people, should I leave? Should we leave? They said, oh, no, 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 you don't have to leave. People want you to stay. They want you to be a part of our church. Okay, I guess I could stay. So I stayed. And this pastor that came, he's a nice guy. But I had inside my heart a wickedness that is very shameful. I wanted him to fail in the worst way. And fortunately or not fortunately, he wasn't a very good pastor. And he wasn't a very good preacher. And so in those days, it was the custom of our church to have both the pastors sitting up on a chair. Remember that, those days? I would sit in this chair and pastor would sit on that chair. And then he would get up to preach and I would just stay up there. And somebody came to me after a service and said, you know, you probably should consider not sitting up there. And why? Because everybody's watching you, not him, while he's preaching. And my gut response was, good. But then I thought, ooh, I don't want to be responsible for like a church split or anything stupid. So I asked permission to get off the stage and sit down below. And I was given permission. So we changed the tradition of the church. So I didn't have to sit up there during his message. This was tough. And to be honest with you, as I look back now, his preaching wasn't that bad. I think it was multiplied bad inside my head because that's what I wanted. I didn't want him to last. Every little mistake he made in my head, it was magnified to be worthy of being fired. I had people coming to my office 
and saying, you know, Pastor Kevin, we're really surprised that the board didn't ask you to be the senior pastor, and we don't really like the pastor they've chosen. That felt way too good. So I had to say, you know, you shouldn't be telling me this. You should go and talk to the pastor about how you feel. Or go and talk to an elder. I did the right thing with my mouth. But in my heart, there was darkness there. I'd been a pastor for six years ministering for the Lord. (laughs) Well, it wasn't long before someone, I don't think they knew anything about my condition, gave me a book. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. Have you ever read this book or heard of this book? Well, it's the story of King David, and it's the story of King Saul before he came into, uh, well, he was still king, and the story of Absalom, David's son, the three kings. And there's a section in there where it talks about the story found in 1 Samuel 18 and 19 where King Saul, while David is playing his harp, he takes his war spear and throws it at David to pin him to the wall, as in kill him. And I had a vision in my head. What if someone threw a spear at me? You know what I would probably do? I would probably dig that spear out of the wall and I'd throw it right back. David didn't. In fact, David did nothing. He ran. He fled the scene. This happened three times. King Saul tried to kill David. So what do you do when someone throws a spear at you was the question that came up in the chapter. (laughs) David had a question. What do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Hmm. Why, most people would pick up that spear and throw it right back. When someone throws a spear at you, absolutely you should throw it back, right? Hmm. David did not. If you are courageous, if you stand for what is right, you bold against, stand against the wrong, you are tough and can't be pushed around, you will not stand for injustice or even being unfairly treated, and so you decide to throw a spear back. All good reasons against the Lord's anointed. But he did not throw the spear. Something different happened in David. All he did was dodge. What can a man do, especially a young man? See here, it's like talking right to me, right? Especially a young man when a king decides to use him for target practice. What if the young man decides not to return the compliment? Does he just pretend that nothing's wrong? No. He must learn some things. First of all, he must learn not to throw the spear back. Secondly, he must stay out of the company of spear throwers. And thirdly, 
he must keep a tight rein on his mouth. And then it says, in this way, spears will never touch you even though they pierce your heart. I like that line. Spears will never touch you even though they pierce your heart. How would you like to live free like that? Hey? So I had some decisions to do before God. Thankfully, I had a good friend that I was confessing this to. I was in community with my friend, and he told me that I needed to go and confess to the pastor how I felt. I did not want to go there. But I went to the office. I made an appointment with the pastor. I sat down. I told him the whole thing. And I asked for his forgiveness. And I walked out of that room, no spears in my hands, and nothing in my heart but space and freedom. That was not easy, folks. And that's not the only time I've had to resist throwing a spear. It comes back again for another round once in a while. But we are called to be broken before God and surrender to his discipline because he does it for our good, the scripture says, that we might be trained in righteousness. Oh. You see, the journey of the Christian faith is a journey from darkness into light, and that is a hard walk. And if the Spirit gives us strength and points out things that are blocking our way to freedom, we are to respond. We are to confess, and we are to repent. And maybe even we are to confess in a community of love so that we can be set free and walk in the light, as he is in the light. Amen? Just take a moment in closing. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is there? Have you been holding something against someone else that if you see them, you walk away, you change direction? Are there things that you've said about other people that the Spirit of God is now bringing to the surface? You need to change. Is the Holy Spirit convicting you of something, of wrongdoing, of wrong speaking? You need to repent. And you need to confess. And you need to be set free. This is the walk of freedom in the light of life. This is how to take care of your soul. And I encourage you, find somebody to be 3 and 30 with, but don't treat it lightly. It is for your freedom that you minister together, that you pray for each other, that you hold each other accountable, that you love on each other. It is for your freedom's sake. Huh. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and they're going to play song just take the time to think through this stuff you know the front is open the altar is open if you want to come and pray pray if you want to just sit in your chair and think sit in your chair and think if you want to respond to what the holy spirit is doing in your life find a brother find a sister confess and then ask them to hold you accountable to make it right the way the holy spirit is showing you 
to do so. It's very important. Father, help us. Help us live in the light as you are in the light. Help us to walk in this new way of life by the power of the Holy Spirit in submission and contrite heart with a contrite heart and a broken spirit. For these things, O oh Lord, you will never despise. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.